Chapter Sixteen of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen. A change of front. Well, Jane said, Mister Lightowler, one evening when he had invited himself to dine and sleep at the house in Malakoff Terrace, I suppose you haven't heard anything of that grand young gentleman of yours yet. The Ashburns, with the single exception of Trixie had remained obstinately indifferent to the celebrity which mark had so suddenly obtained it did not occur to most of them indeed that distinction was possible in the course he had taken perhaps many of mahomet's relations thought it a pity that he should abandon his excellent prospects in the caravan business where he was making himself so much respected for the precarious and unremunerative career of a prophet Trixie, however, had followed the book's career with wondering delight. She had bought a copy for herself, Mark not having found himself equal to sending her one, and she had eagerly collected reviews and allusions of all kinds, and tried hard to induce Martha at least to read the book. Martha had coldly declined. She had something of her mother's hard, unimaginative nature, and read but little fiction and besides having from the first sided strongly against mark she would not compromise her dignity now by betraying so much interest in his performances cuthbert read the book but in secret and as he said nothing to its discredit it may be presumed that he could find no particular fault with it mrs ashburn would have felt almost inclined had she known the book was in the house to order it to be put away from among them like an evil thing so strong was her prejudice and her husband whatever he felt expressed no interest or curiosity on the subject so at mr lightowler's question which was put more as a vent for his own outraged feelings than any real desire for information mrs ashburn's face assumed its grimmest and coldest expression as she replied no solomon mark has chosen his own road we neither have nor expect to have any news of him at this very moment he may be bitterly repenting his folly and disobedience somewhere upon which cuthbert observed that he considered that extremely probable and mr ashburn found courage to ask a question uh, i suppose he hasn't come or written to you yet solomon he said no matthew said his brother-in-law he has not i'd just like to see him coming to me he wouldn't come twice i can tell him no i tell you as i told him i've done with him when a young man repays all i've spent on him with base ingratitude like that i wash my hands of him i say deliberately i wash my hands why he might have worked on at his law and i'd have set him up and put him in the way of making his living in a few years made him a credit to all connected with him i would but he's chosen to turn a low scribbler and starve in a garret which you'll come to soon enough and that's what i get for trying to help a nephew well it will be a lesson to me i know that young men have gone off since my young days a lazy selfish conceited lot they are all of em not all solomon said his sister i'm sure there are young men still who cuthbert how long was it you stayed at the office after hours to make up your books of his own free will too solomon and he's never had any one to encourage him or help him on poor boy mrs ashburn was not without hopes that her brother might be brought to understand in time 
that the family did not end with Mark, but she might have spared her pains just then. "'No,' oh, he said, with a rather contemptuous toss of the head. "'I wasn't hinting. I've nothing particular against him. He's steady enough, I dare say. One of the other kinds enough in a small family, in all conscience. Ah, oh, Jane, if ever a man was regularly taken in by a boy, I was by his brother Mark.' A bright, smart, clever young chap he was, as I'd wish to see. Give that feller an education and put him to a profession, thinks I, and he'll be a credit to you some of these days. And see what's come of it. It's very sad, very sad for all of us, I'm sure, sighed Mrs. Ashburn. At this, Trixie, who had been listening to all with hot cheeks and trembling lips, could hold out no longer. "'You talk of Mark, uncle, and all of you,' she said, looking prettier for her indignation, "'as if he was a disgrace to us all. "'You seem to think he's starving somewhere in a garret and unknown to everybody. "'But he's nothing of the sort. "'He's famous already, whether you believe it or not. "'You ought to be proud of him.' "'Beatrix, you forget yourself,' said her mother. "'Before your uncle, too.' "'I can't help it,' said Trixie. "'There's no one to speak up for poor Mark but me, Ma, and I must. "'And it's all quite true. "'I hear all about books and things from at the art school where I go, "'and Mark's book is being talked about everywhere. "'And you needn't be afraid of his coming to you for money, Uncle, "'for I was told that Mark will be able to get as much money as ever he likes for his next books. "'He will be quite rich and all just by writing, and nobody but you here.' "'seems to think the worse of him for what he has done. "'I'll show you what the papers say about him presently. "'Why, even your paper, Ma, the weekly Horeb, "'has a long article praising Mark's book this week, "'so I should think it can't be so very wicked. "'Wait a minute, and you shall see.' "'And Trixie burst impetuously out of the room "'to fetch the book in which she had pasted the reviews, "'leaving the others in a rather crestfallen condition, "'Uncle Solomon especially looking straight in front of him, with a fish-like stare, being engaged in trying to assimilate the very novel ideas of a literary career which had just been put before him. Mrs. Ashburn muttered something about Trixie being always headstrong and never given to serious things, but even she was a little shaken by the unexpected testimony of her favourite oracle, the Horeb. "'Look here, uncle,' said Trixie, returning with the book and laying it down open before him. "'See what the—' blank says and the blank oh and all of them i don't want to see em he said sulkily pushing the book from him take the things away child who cares what they say they're all at the same scribbling business themselves of course they crack up one another but he listened with a dull glazed look in his eyes and a grunt now and then while she read extracts aloud until by and by in spite of his efforts to repress it a kind of hard grin of satisfaction began to widen his mouth. "'Where's this precious book to be got?' he said at last. "'Are you so sure he's disgraced you now, uncle?' demanded Trixie triumphantly. "'Men's praise is of little value,' said Mrs. Ashburn harshly. "'Your uncle and we look at what Mark has done from the Christian standpoint.' "'Well, look here, you know. Suppose we go into the matter now.' "'Let's talk it out a bit,' said Uncle Solomon, coming out of a second brown study. "'What have you got against Mark?' "'What have I got against him, Solomon?' echoed his sister in supreme amazement. 
"'Yes, what's he done to set you all shaking your heads at?' "'Why, surely there's no need to tell you. "'Well, first there's his ingratitude to you. "'After all, you've done for him.' "'Put me out of the question,' said Mr. Lightowler, "'with a magnanimous sweep of his hand. "'I can take care of myself, I should hope. "'What I want to get at is what he's done to you. "'What do you accuse the boy of doing, Matthew, eh?' Poor little Mr. Ashburn seemed completely overwhelmed by this sudden demand on him. "'I? Oh, I! Well, Jane has strong views, you know, Solomon, decided opinions on these subjects, and—' "'And so have I,' he concluded feebly. "'Hm,' said Mr. Lightowler, half to himself. "'Shouldn't have thought that was what was the matter with you. "'Well, Jane, then I come back to you.' "'What's he done? Come, he hasn't robbed a church or forged a cheque, has he?' "'If you wish me to tell you what you know perfectly well already, "'he has, in defiance of what he knows I feel on this subject, "'connected himself with a thing I strongly disapprove of, a light-minded fiction.' "'Now you know, Jane, that's all your confounded—I'm speaking to you as a brother, you know—your confounded, narrow-minded nonsense.' "'Supposing he has written a light-minded fiction, as you call it, where's the harm of it?' "'With the early training you received together with me, Solomon, I wonder you can ask. "'You know very well what would have been thought of reading, to say nothing of writing, a novel in our young days. "'And it cuts me to the heart to think that a son of mine should place another stumbling-block in the hands of youth.' "'Stumbling grandmother!' cried Mr. Lightowler. "'In our young days, as you say, we didn't go to playhouses "'and only read good and improving books, "'and a dull time we had of it. "'I don't read novels myself now, having other things to think about, "'but the world's gone round since then, Jane. "'Even chapel folk read these light-minded fictions nowadays "'and don't seem to be stumbling around more than usual. "'If they take no harm, their oak consciences must be their guide, "'but I've a right to judge for myself as well as they, I think, Solomon.' exactly but not for them too that's what you're doing jane who the dickens are you to go about groaning that mark's a prodigal son or a lost sheep or a goat or one of those uncomplimentary animals all because he's written a book that every one else is praising why are you to be right and all the rest of the world wrong i'd like to know here you've gone and hunted the lad out of the house without ever consulting me who, I think, Jane, I do think, have acted so as to deserve to be considered and consulted in the matter, and all for what? "'I'm sure, Solomon,' said Mrs. Ashburn, with one or two hard sniffs, which were her nearest approach to public emotion, "'I'm sure I never expected this from you, and you were quite as angry with Mark as any of us.' "'Because I didn't know all. I was kept in the dark.' "'From what you said, I didn't know but what he'd written some rubbish "'which wouldn't keep him in bread and cheese for a fortnight "'and leave him as unknown as it found him. "'Naturally, I didn't care about that, "'when I'd hoped he'd be a credit to me. "'But it appears he is being a credit to me. "'He's making his fortune, getting famous, "'setting the upper circles talking of him. "'I thought Sir Andrew, up at the manor house, "'was a-chafing on me the other day "'when he began complimenting me on my nephew.' and I answered him precious short, but I begin to think now as he meant it, and I went and made a fool of myself. All I ever asked of Mark was to be a credit to me, 
and so long as he goes and is a credit to me what do i care how he does it not that at sentiments of such unhoped-for breadth trixie was so far carried away with delight and gratitude as to throw her arms round her uncle's puffy red neck and bestow two or three warm kisses upon him then you won't give him up after all will you uncle she cried you don't think him a disgrace to you uncle solomon looked round him with the sense that he was coming out uncommonly well there's no narrow-mindedness about me trixie my girl he said i never have said nor don't say now that i have given your brother mark up he chose not to take the advantages i offered him and i don't deny feeling put out by it but what's done can't be helped i shall have a look into this book of his and if i see nothing to disapprove of in it why i shall let him know he can still look to his old uncle if he wants anything i don't say more than that at present but i do think jane that you've been too hard on the boy we can't all be such particular baptists as you are you know i'm glad to hear you say that solomon quavered mr ashburn because i said as much to jane if you recollect my mentioning it my dear at the time but she has decided views and she thought otherwise the unfortunate jane seeing herself deserted on all sides began to qualify not sorry in her inmost heart to be able to think more leniently since the weekly horror sanctioned it of her son's act of independence i may have acted on imperfect knowledge she said i may have been too hasty in concluding that mark had only written some worldly and frivolous love-tale to keep minds from dwelling on higher subjects if so i'm willing to own it and if mark wants to come to me that mr lightowler did not care to lose his monopoly of magnanimity in this way that comes too late now jane he said he won't come back to you now after the way you've treated him you've taken your line and you'll have to keep to it but he shan't lose by that while i live or afterwards for that matter he was always more of a son to me than ever you made of him and when he went to bed after some elaboration of his views on the question he left the family with one exception to the highly unsatisfactory reflection that they had cut themselves off from all right to feel proud and gratified at mark's renown and that the breach between them was too wide now to be bridged. End of chapter 16